and welcome back or welcome to On Coaching with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, the uh, cross-country coach at the U- University of Houston and joined with my good friend, colleague, John Marcus, Director of High Performance West. John, we are back. Yes, spring's about to come and we got a brand new High Performance West website coming at you a lot of new and exciting things we learned from our first go around and have kind of gone back to retool it and make it better so march 20th drum roll please that's when it relaunches so get on there get after it and we have another awesome thing which is even more awesome coming up as well what's that steve uh what happens on march 19th is the release of my new book called the passion paradox so you can He's always beat me to the punch i mean uh, just all right yeah. fine uh, one one day earlier i'm trying to steal your thunder this is called marketing man this is why i'm the marketing guy um Bat- you're batman i'm robin I'm yeah still learning. so if you want to just go on uh over to either my twitter or check it out on our website passionparadoxbook.com com or check it out on amazon and wherever you want to buy books um appreciate taking a look we're doing some awesome like pre-orders where you get bonus stuff including you know in-depth conversations with some pretty cool people about passion so you can check that out on the website but uh give it a look and see if uh, it's something that you want to and, and also buy the book and buy the book yes and buy the book Please. i bought the book i bought in every single one of steve's books he could have and has wanted to give me a free copy but i support authors by buying the book so i've turned down free copies of peak performance the science of running and the passion paradox to buy them because it's important support support the artists support the art authors support the ideas they're bringing to the world because it takes guts and it matters and finally talking about support we're going to support one of our grand friends and make him the uh sponsor of this podcast episode uh which is the uh, burn gambetta and gain so gain is this really cool concept i don't know if i can even call it a conference because it's more than that uh that takes place in houston texas at rice university where for four days i call it like Vern opens up the fire hydrant of knowledge and you just sit there and try and consume uh as much as you can because it's it's the most intense uh conference experience i've ever been to from sun up to sundown you are learning trying experiencing um, different things from a variety of experts. As I said, I've been in, lucky to speak at things all over the world, and Gain is always one of my favorites. Um, I come away with a pile of notes, so highly suggest uh, heading over to Vern's website or Twitter and checking that out if you're interested. Yeah, Hammer Media has a lot of links to it. I'm excited to go for the first time. I've been wanting to go for years. It's been on my bucket list for a long, long, long time. And finally, I'm not directing a series of meets within that window this year. So I will be there in person. I always already talked to Vern, and he's uh, he's pumped as ever for it. I mean, it is something that from afar, I'm like, everyone who goes there levels up. And plus, you meet truly world-class people who are doing things at a forward-thinking level and coaching through all sectors, rugby, football, soccer, basketball, athletics, you know, and everywhere around the globe. It's it's amazing. It is basically Vern's network, and he just brings them all to Houston for four days of just phenomenal, phenomenal interaction. So, you know, it's worth every penny. You know, I always tell Vern he should charge twice as much because he's basically giving it away for free, but the coach in him wants the information message to spread. So check it out. They take applications. It's uh, mid-July, I believe, are the dates. And when it sells out, it sells out. There's only so many spots. Yeah, so we'll include links to all those things in our show notes. So uh, check that out. But getting on to the episode today, what are we talking about, John? Burnout. Oh, burnout. (sighs) Yes. We're getting as, we're daring greatly here or being vulnerable, as Brene Brown would say. Uh, Can't quote a better person on that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so burnout's an interesting one because we've both experienced it. Oh God, it sucks so bad. (laughs) Like, can I just be real about it for a second? It was awful. My own experience this summer 
burn out, gained 25 pounds, was depressed, had amazing apathy, just didn't care. It was just my wife was like, you're not you. You're not doing anything you love. I go, yeah, I know. This sucks. And I don't know what I'm doing. And it was just I felt head to toe, inside and out, cognitively and physically awful. Well, I don't know how I can describe it any better than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but it's true, right? And I've experienced this uh, both as an athlete back when I was competing and then also in my own uh, life or collegiate coaching world. Um, we were just talking about it before we came online here. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's something that isn't talked about in the college coaching world at all, but happens to a fair degree based on interactions I've had with other coaches. Because when you think about it, like college coaching college track and cross country means that you are almost always in season. Mm-hmm. And, and your only off season is the summer. And guess what you have to do in the summer? Recruit athletes or else you're not going to have a very good team. So you're spent time uh, recruiting athletes, making home visits, all this good stuff. And then you get into the middle, into the season and you're doing the same recruiting plus coaching plus all the administrative stuff, which is uh, about 10 times more than I thought it was as an athlete, um, <laughs> which is just a pain. But yep. I, I think what also kind of gets you is, is the emotional highs and lows of it in the sense that Every weekend, practically, you're competing, right? And, like, you're invested in your athletes. You want them to do well. So, you you go through the ups and downs of, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 athletes, whatever it has, um, with them. And then, because you're competing, you travel a lot and you don't get weekends off like normal people. And the odd weekend that you do get off, like... That's a that's a weekend to bring in four, five, six uh, high school recruits <laughs> and tour tour them around. Um, so there's really no no built in kind of refresh period. And again, as a cross and track uh, coach, like there's no off season break either, where you're like, okay, we're done with the season. Like let's take a long break and kind of recharge because like you just filter straight into the next season i mean and in the indoor season that we're we're ending right now i was telling john off off mic here our indoor national meet is a saturday and our first outdoor track meet is thursday right it's the following thursday yeah which means there is like zero zero break between indoor and outdoor season so it's a wonderful job but it it like many other um, many other jobs that have such structure, maybe like a doctor and other stuff, um, it can wear on you and lead right. you, lead you towards this almost like burning burning the candle at both ends, so that you know you got nothing left at some point. Well, you're constantly performing. That's the thing of a coach, right? Let's, let's not get it twisted. Coaching is a drug, straight up. It is a drug and it's highly, highly addictive, right? Because you said, Steve, you're living vicariously or you're living in close quarters with the highs and lows of an athlete, right? So you live for the PR. You live for the win. You live for the breakthrough performance for that person that you've been escorting on this journey for one, two, three, four, five years, right? And that being an escort coach, as they call it, where you're there lockstep in sync with each athlete. And if you multiply that out by 25, 30, 50, you know, you, you have to perform that role. So, so some athletes, right, you have to be Mr. Hardass. So some athletes, you have to be, you know, the nurturer. To some athletes, you have to be more of a Socrates and just question. To some athletes, you, and so you have to know how to push everyone's buttons and you have to be performing constantly and fluidly without any break. And I believe the book prior to the one coming out on March 19th, Peak Performance, said, you know, stress plus rest equals growth. But we're constantly performing. 
So you're performing, 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 which is stressful with zero regeneration time, with zero time away from the stage because the stage is practice. The stage is the office. The stage is compliance meetings. The stage is the staff meetings. The stage is departmental meetings. The stage is traveling with the athletes to and from. The stage is at the meet. The stage is recruiting on the phone, recruiting um, on campus, recruiting in-house, and on and on and on and on and on. When are you not on stage? And as a coach – I've done a really good job now after experiencing incredible burnout here. You know, I mean, gaining 25 pounds and ballooning up to almost 200 or, you know, 201, that was a total wake-up call. But now I'm a lot more selective and restrictive with my time because athletes can be vampires and they can suck all the time and energy from you. Not because they're bad people, not because they're doing it, you know, um, or with uh, villainously because they're just athletes are needy to perform. You need a lot of critique. You need a lot of attention. And it's, it requires a lot of energy from someone to constantly feed that need like a child, right? I mean, I talked a lot of our friends like, you know, and Steve's co-author on the new book, uh, Passion Paradox here is Brad um, Stuhlberg. And I talked to Brad and Brad's just like, yeah, being a dad is way more than I thought it was, to, you know, meant to be. No book could explain the burden of being a father, like waking up in the middle of the night, worrying about this, having to deal with this. Oh, the kid swallowed a quarter. What do we do now? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, and and I talked to Brad. I go, Brad, you need to sometimes not be um, Theo's or Leo's dad uh, because that's how he identifies himself as his main role now. He goes, Yeah, I'm his son's dad, and then I do these other things. But you need to also step away. And that regeneration period, just as we would have a workout, coaches need to protect that really, really um, well. And I've learned it's not through the easy addictive vices like, you know, drugs, uh, food, sweets, you know, whatever. It's It needs to be something that's restorative, something that is a passion that, and I define passion as something that you do that creates energy, that is self-energizing. And that there's no stakes involved. So whether it's reading, writing, listening to music, making music, whatever, like that's the thing I think sometimes we as coaches fall victim to is we're constantly performing, but with no time where we're checking out to do our hobby or our passion that rekindles and refuels us. Yeah, you know, there's a <laughs> it's a nice concept of like whether you're like refueling the tank or emptying the tank, right? Right. And I think that, like, thinking about those concepts is, like, there's certain things that we can do that can fill our tank back up. And you mentioned some of them. And I remember mm-hmm. when I was in in, uh, in college struggling with this, I had a sports psychologist one time tell me, it's like, you need to develop some sort of hobby or something that you do that fills your tank back up. And he'd worked with a lot of professional runners, and he was telling the story of some of an Olympian who took up knitting, right? Had yes. never done it before, but like that was something that allowed them, that they found, like allowed them to just kind of come down, relax, like just get into the habit of sitting there and knit and like take their mind off something and like it cleared them and like re energized them. And regardless of what that is, like we need things in life that allow us to fill up our tank and fill up our bucket. And, you know, and and the latest interjection, Steve, what's that for you? What is that for you? What is that for me? Yeah. What does Uh, that come to be for you? Yeah. Very simple. It's uh, reading about non running things. Right. Um, like, no, you're not reading, but in like secretly like doing preparing for another book, are you? Or are you just, is this more like recreational reading? No, like what I call it is like reading. So if I, if we'll go on a brief interlude here, but if I look at the, if I look at the books that I read, right, they're either like reading specifically for like coaching or training or whatever have you, right? That is for, for a purpose. Then there's reading that is more of like, oh, this will be good for some book, article, etc. Um, that, you know, I might use someday. So I'm going to mm-hmm. take like a copious amount of notes um, to reference in the future. And then there's reading, which also might be on like, you know, scientific or nonfiction topics. 
but are it is reading to fulfill my curiosity, right? Mm, mm. So things where I'm just like, hey, this is an interesting subject. And like, I just want to understand like how it works, not for any reason, but just because it's fascinating to me. And that could be, again, some science subject. It could be some historical fi- figure. It could be some historical period. Um, occasionally it's some fiction book, right? Or some memoir. Um, but something like that. And I think it's, it's important to delineate there because at different points in my own reading, like I will be tired of reading for research, for example. And even right. though like I enjoy the, uh, the book I'm currently reading, like I have to, let's say the hour before I go to bed, like I'm going to switch to something that it just, is my reading for curiosity or pleasure. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, if you look on my um, my corner table next to my bed, I have three or so books there um, <laughs> that all represent like different avenues of, of reading that I'm pursuing at the same time. And I, I envision it, I think I got this from you, is I envision it the same way in which I would watch TV, right? Yep. There's... TV where I want to learn something, where maybe I watch a documentary or something like that. There's TV that is entertaining to me, and then there's TV that sometimes is just like that background noise that you need, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I consume books. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very similar to me. Like, I call it, you know, using a little different vocabulary, like reading to study. So, studying something specific, and that can be running, psychology, you know, performance, you know, whatever. Then there's reading to swipe, right? Like that idea of a swipe file that is popular with creatives where you see something like, oh, that's a really juicy nugget. That's a really interesting idea. I've never thought of it or been exposed to this. I'm going to just save this here for later and let it, you know, digest. And then you have what I call just like, yeah, you said reading for curiosity or reading for pleasure. So every now and again, like I'll whip open you know, like a biography on Winston Churchill or read the unabridged version of The Count of Monte Cristo, which is my favorite book of all time, like my favorite, favorite novel. I mean, in but, 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 but straight up book, right? And I don't read fiction or biographies, you know, outside, say, the performance genre much, but I'd argue Winston Churchill is a performance study, but it's just, I got really curious about Churchill. And he's a, he inspired me a lot to like, restructure my life and get my life back together and so you're right you got to switch the channels otherwise like if you just have fox news on all the time your head will explode you know i don't care whether you're down with it or not same deal like you have to have something like you have to be able to turn on mtv or espn or abc or you know watch um i forget who the guy was uh with the afro who always painted all the trees right that was on public television oh yeah 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 (laughs) Some, but I mean, yeah. just things like that. And so, you know, some people criticize me for like having 10 books open. But you know what? I, I mean, every creative person who is a forward thinker that I know does this. They, I mean, Stu McMillan at Altus, Frank Gambetta, you know, Steve, myself, Mario Ferrelli, shout out to him. Uh, Alan Bishop, uh, Steve's colleague at UH, who's one of the best strength and conditioning coaches, arguably, or the hottest, I should say, arguably right now in the NCAA for Division One men's basketball. I've pulled all these people. And the people who are reading, who can hold multiple thoughts or multiple threads of thinking in their head concurrently without skipping a beat, those are very intelligent people. Now, you don't need to feel bad if you don't have that attention span. It's a skill. You can craft it. But I also, too, have another rule, you know, which is attack, 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 attack. And like read the book, read the book, read the book, read the book. And if you are get tired of it, shelve it and then read the other book, read the other book, read the other book. You tie that one, shelve it. And just by being so excited to, you know, see what the author has to say in every book, you end up finishing a lot of books very quickly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a great point, right? Uh, I mean, I just did that this morning. Um, I was researching something for an upcoming piece that I'm going to do um, on kind of emotions and stress and stuff. And, you know, probably a year ago, I shelved this book called, by Aunt Anthony DeMasso called mm. Strange Order of Things. 
um, mm, which is a book. great, uh, yeah, great book. But I shelved it maybe halfway or three quarters of the way through because, like, I was just kind of tired of, you know, having my mind in that space and didn't pick it up for a year, right? <laughs> and then picked it up like a couple days ago and finished it this morning when it was like, oh, this is great, this is relevant, and I remembered like, oh, I need to, like, I'm interested in this. Like now, I'm going to finish it, and. Like, that's, that's what's great about, like, taking this approach to reading versus taking the approach of, okay, one at a time, um, I must finish this. I know people struggle with, like, oh, I can't step away and not finish it because then it's, like, I'm not completed it. Well, I'm, like, you do that all the time with shows if it doesn't or, keep Or with albums. Attention. Yep. Right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? It's not your fault. It's the author's fault. Like, the author is compelled to keep you engaged from every word start to finish like and if they've published junk that's on them that's on their editor that's not your fault like i trash books quickly but the the same mentality right and i've evolved how i think about nonfiction books to being albums the best albums you can listen straight through and their every song is a hit and like pink floyd albums right it's one continuous um, you know, uh, thematic thread from start to finish. It flows into each other. That's a great book. That's a great album. You know, Dark Side of the Moon is one of the best-selling albums of all time. Why? It's a concept album, one of the very few, or I should say one of the best concept albums ever. Because in order to understand the context of each song, you have to listen to it start to finish. Now, the songs are strong enough, like each chapter should be strong enough to stand on its own, and they do. Like you have... Money was the big hit. Like Pink Floyd talks about how hard it was to figure out what was going to be the single. And they just said, oh, we'll pick money, you know, <laughs> but it stands on its own, you know, um, merit. But most books and are like most albums, there's one or two good chapters, one or two good songs that are really worth it. And the rest is just fluff. And it's like no time for that. So you can, who says you can't really dive deep into the juicy chapters and then skim the rest or even skip. You know, and finishing a book is not reading every word on every page with all the intent in the world from start to finish. Finishing a book is getting the idea and internalizing the idea that the author was trying to communicate to you. So you don't need to feel like I need to literally read every word. I don't. Sometimes I'll skim. I'll just get like, man, this guy's repeating himself. She's repeating herself. Yeah, you're not saying anything new or novel. And like I'll blitz through, you know, two or three pages until I get to like, whoa, there's something juicy. And then I slow back down. So it's think about it as being on the freeway. Sometimes you're in the express lane and you're just hauling. But sometimes, you know, you, you actually you're on the highway in a scenic highway and you want to go slower because you want to take it all in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a good conceptualization of of how to read, um, which I think is important. You know, I, I grew up, and it is a learned skill. Like, I grew up not being a reader. And, Me too. You know, hated it. Exactly. Yes. Hated it all. Um, and then eventually grew into one once I figured out, you know, how to do it in the way that fit, you know, fit what I was trying to do and also uh, develop it as a skill, right? Um, which mm-hmm. it is. It's a skill. And actually, there are some really interesting articles lately that have talked about how we're losing our that skill a little bit because we're becoming adapted to reading things online, which are all short form, quick hit, like not deep dives. We tend to skim instead of read. So like really getting your ability to uh, actually deep dive read versus just skim things is uh, a loss. I call those vitamins, right? They're supplements. And I mean, any online article, they are supplements. It's a breadcrumb. It's a vitamin. It's not the thing. Reading a book or even a long form article. I mean, and Mario Furley did a great series like on Danny Mackey and Shalane a couple years ago, or anytime there I find a good long form article and, you know, I've written a couple myself on Hammer Media, like the Babe Ruth effect, and Steve's written a couple. That's nourishing. That's a complete meal that has all the macro micronutrients. Someone took time and energy and went slow to like cook the salmon, cut the carrots. Like, I mean, I hope everyone understands what I'm saying here. So, yeah, vitamins are supplements, and they can supplement your thinking and learning, like a lot of articles are now. Those quick hits, they're supplements. It does not and never will replace book reading. 
ever. It's <laughs> a good point. All right. You heard it <laughs> definitively here. Don't just rely on the supplements. Um, you, you know, but I, I guess before we go back to our topic of burnout, um, I was talking to Dave Epstein, the uh, author of The Sports Gene and an uh, upcoming book called Range. And he, we were talking about research for books and he was like, oh, no, like, I love when books are like obscure or not yeah. <laughs> well researched or not well or like not well known because, you know, if it's in a book like that, then like when I put it in mind, like people won't have read it before because we're mm -hmm. all borrowing different, you know, ideas, concepts, like examples to get our thesis or our point across in yep. the book. And he said, like, if you do the deep work and the deep dive, you're in a better place, right? And it's yep. the same in the coaching world. Like, if you've listened to us enough, if you do the deep work and you go read uh, Percy Sarity's, you know, original books or... Oh, you know, read them all. Yes, yeah. they're brilliant. They're, they're yeah, great. And, and, yeah, and read and read her Elliot's The Golden Mile. Like, I finally read it in Vern Game. I was like, why don't you read it? It it gave you context of the athlete's point of view of Sarity and Sarity's role in his development. Brilliant. Right, exactly. But if you, like, go back and read read those, like, you're doing the deep work. And that puts you ahead of 99% of people who will take the superficial understanding of, oh, here's the summary and some quick article I read on Runner's World or whatever whatever the website is, right? Right, and that's what Steve and I did last year in the, um, you know, uh, High Performance West Supreme Scholar Seminar, like that big, we, we, we still have it available and it's there forever, but it is $300, 50 hours, and we go super, super deep. I mean, and so far the feedback from everyone has been, it's been worth every hour and every cent because what Steve and I essentially did is we divided up who we each research, right? So I went deep into Bowerman and deep into, you know, like Vin and Jerry, like people I had inside or detailed access to. Steve went, you know, deep into Igloy and deep into Herschel and like, and, you know, we co-went deep into Lydiard and we just read everything we could on those guys. Everything. Like, I mean, I just, everything Bowerman ate it up. Everything Sebco ate it up. And, you know, Steve with Igloy, et cetera. And then combined, we were able then to create something that was palatable, packageable, presented in a quick 20-minute, 30-minute window. But, I mean, that was the value of it is we both leveled up because Steve got – you know, I'm kind of jealous because, like, Steve took the earlier coaches. So, he, he went to, like, early 1900s, and then I took kind of, like, the mid-1900 coaches. And so, Steve got a really good foundation in how did we start training and you know, quote unquote, scientifically or breaking things up. And where do we come from? Where do we start off at? Right. I mean, people were like, thought you had to walk as <laughs> part of training. And there was like worry that if you ran more than X miles, you were going to like kill yourself, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you know, one of my favorite, this shows my running geekiness, but like one of my favorite things to do is to go into like Google books and then go into books that were, you were put out before 1930 because they're mm. all like you know there's no more copyright on them or whatever right. Um, right. so you can see them a lot of them are scanned online from from libraries through google books and you just search like athletics training or running training yeah. yes. and you'll you'll see some you know some coach in 1905 who put out you know a brief like how to train for the mile and it's <laughs> it's fascinating because it shows these are this is where we came from and and this is where we evolved from and these are some of the same thoughts that they were having back then are the same discussions and thoughts that we're having now just in yeah. a different way i mean that example of of burnout is a is a great one like they were worried mm -hmm. i remember reading a, a book about glenn cunningham who was the world record holder in the 1920s um around like 40 i don't know five or something like that in the indoor mile um in the 20s and 30s and like his coach is like well you know we're really worried about burning out so we're cautious and meanwhile you look at the workout and it's like <laughs> it's like 
two by 400 and 62nd with a 400 meter walk or something like that you yeah. know yeah. and you're just like <laughs> this is like one of the most talented man in in history and you're worried about burning out but it's it was a good it was a good like reminder of oh like these same problems like we're tackling now and they're a little bit of a product of the context of our, uh, you know, where we are culturally and what, what we think we can handle. Right. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I read uh, this book, Coaching and Care of Athletes by F.A.M. Webster. And it's a, a book of an English coach, you know, thick one from like the 19, early 1900s. And this line has always stuck with me. Uh, uh a shot of brandy will do a man and an athlete well. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, the context was brandy as a recovery drink. Like, a shot of brandy will do an athlete and a man well. Like, just an, basically, you did your workout and that night you took brandy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, it's amazing how far we come. Yes. That, that, but that's the value of the deep dive. Like, I recently, um, you know, re upped my deep dive into Bruce Lee. And so I've just like a lot of books on Bruce Lee. And so what I'll do personally, this is my process. I'm get off back on topic off this tangent is if there's some, someone in an area who has a lot of works, read all their works. And if it's a certain thread of um, concept, just read it all because you get to see the transformation of thinking. And that's really more what you're trying to um, be inspired by is the thinking. Yeah. You want to take practical thing from them and you will glean the practicality but the evolution of thought is very interesting like henry miller two of my favorite books on him are on writing and the books of my life and i mean not to discredit his other non-fictions and the other book i want to get my hands on is on turning 80 because it shows you his train of thought or the people who have like like louis lamore or ernest hemingway taken bits and pieces of their thoughts or diaries at different times of their life you know, Bruce Lee, same deal. Like these prolific people all had something in common and we, I don't know what it is, but there's something that burned in them to create a prolificness of um, creation and produ- production from them. And so that to me is just, I'm infinitely curious about it, but that is my own personal process. And I've, I've found it be very fruitful then to read one Bruce Lee book and then go read a Billichek book and then go read a like art book and then go read a book on training. Like I kind of just keep it centralized for a little while until I, I run out of energy on that topic. Eh, okay. I've had enough of that meal, you know, but that's just kind of how I am wired. So. All right. So we talked about running out of energy. I'm going to tie this yes. back. Uh, Good luck. We'll yeah. see how you do. No. So we talked about running out of energy, right? And like just how you run out of energy for reading about Bruce Lee, you run out of energy for doing any activity repetitively over time, right? Correct. It doesn't matter how passionate you are to uh, pull from my latest book, um, you still do. And in fact, that's one of the topics that we kind of explore in The Passion Paradox is that you know, I'm, we're sitting here talking to you. I'm sitting here talking to you, John. And it's mm-hmm. obvious that both of us are what we call pushers. And oh, mo- sure. most coaches and most runners have a, have a degree of pusher in them, right? And when you see people who are, you know, highly driven um, at whatever they're pursuing, their, you know, chance of burning out goes up um exponentially right because mm-hmm. they're gonna burn 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 until there's like nothing left you're gonna read you know bruce lee books until there is nothing left unless you have this like self-awareness to understand hey like i'm getting to the end of my rope or hey i need to recharge and yes. and the thing that you know we found in researching writing this book is just that is that the cure if there is one is to like develop that awareness to understand like when you're going all in and maybe too much and when you need to like step back and step away um and realize that like hey i'm on this path towards uh <laughs> towards towards burnout um how do how do i get off of it it's the oscillation right that's what matters if you look to nature and i look to nature a lot i mean it, it drives it all my thinking and coaching and everything in life, the answers are all in nature. 
And there's an oscillation in nature. The seasons are an oscillation, day and night, you know, hot and cold. I mean, you name it, right? Life and death, eat and defecate. Like it's oscillation, it's oscillation. You can't, I made this list, you know, a couple months ago, like things I do that every time, no matter how much are fulfilling great and have zero like negative, like zero harm. Things that, you know, things I can do forever is zero harm. About the only thing on that thing was breathe. (laughs) That was it, you know, because if you think about it, there's really nothing you can do to infinity with zero harm other than breathe. And even then it's in context of what, what are you breathing in if you're in like Beijing, China? Well, maybe, maybe that's not the best thing either. So it's just understanding that it's the Goylock's principle, right? Not too much, not too little, just right. But just right also means absence. It means absence makes the heart grow fonder. So you need that oscillation. And I think us driven people, us pushers, as Steve, you know, has uh, designated us, is we we need to be okay with the total disconnect. Because if you don't totally disconnect and totally take a time out, your as I experienced this summer, your body will force it upon you. Your body is the smartest organism on the planet. It just intuitively knows when you're doing something right, when you're doing something wrong. And if you don't listen to it or you you, you will pervert it and you will corrupt it and you will corrode it and then it'll be a really hard time and hard go at it. So that is essentially, you know, how to you know, and Steve's right, you're always pushing to an edge, like in training, right? Uh, every time, training is a fine edge between being in the best shape of your life and being catastrophically hurt. <laughs> because constantly you're loading at higher loads or intensities or densities or volumes than, or, you know, a package of those than you've ever loaded an athlete before. And no one knows for sure if it's going to work out. We hope, we think, we have principles from the science of running, Steve's first book. If you haven't read that, by the way, you should, um, which demonstrate there are some, you know, uh, concepts and key foundational uh, reactions that happen in all physiological organisms that are human beings that try to, you know, propel themselves to run faster. However, at the end of the day, they aren't hard and fast laws. You can't say, well, this works for Susie and this worked for Billy and this will work for Tommy. You know, you'll get a, a, a similar scope of reaction, but that's on the job of the athlete, the coach, and everyone involved in, in that preparation to be hyper aware if it's the reaction sought. And if it's not the reaction sought, that's when you have to, you know, reroute and course correct. And that's essentially like, to if you don't do that yourself with awareness or have other people around you who are there to keep you accountable you know like your your account like coaches keeping other coaches accountable like i said you'll experience what i experienced and you don't want to go there because it sucks (laughs) yeah you know that's a it's a good point to have is that i think having colleagues or friends who keep you accountable is probably one of the most overlooked things that we have in terms of living a health, healthy, happy, uh, successful r- life, right? Because when you're in the thick of things, like we talk about awareness, right? And it's good to develop, but like sometimes, uh, just like anything, like when you're in it, you're blind to seeing, uh, seeing things because you're biased, biased towards it, right? Mm-hmm. You're biased towards yourself thinking, oh, like I can tough my way through it or I'm fine or, you know, it's only for a little bit. So I'll be okay once I once I decide to stop, right? We know this from like addiction research. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just compromising. You're just compromising the short term, but you're sacrificing killing the long term. Yeah. yeah. So having people who can call you out or, you know, remind you or have that deep conversation with you is incredibly important. And I think sometimes we make this mistake where we take uh, offense to it and become defensive if someone calls us out on yes. something. Yes, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and what happens then is if you get super defensive, then you send this message to the person like, okay, they don't want to know reality. Like, next time, I'm just not going to tell them. So now right. you're in that situation, which, again, a lot of uh, 
maybe higher up people and CEOs and stuff get into is like where no one will tell you reality um, because they're scared to do so, Mm -hmm. which creates that problem of burnout, you know? Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. That's a vicious cycle. And so that's why you need, you know, people to check in with or check in on you. And this is the role I've taken lately because I have several colleagues in friends like Steve and Mike Smith who are in the NCA. So, I mean, I, my goal is to try to talk to on the phone a minimum of once every two weeks, all of my close friends and colleagues. That's my, you know, that's my mission because I found that that keeps me connected, grounded, and it, it affords us a network to, um, you know, just keep, keep tabs on each other. And when you talk to someone once a week or once every two weeks, you get past the, the, trite formalities pretty quickly and just say hey you know ask questions about how your week was like simple things debriefs right that we have with athletes well why don't coaches have debriefs about the past week or two weeks with other coaches i have a debrief every night with my wife how was your day at work how was your day at work well you know what was the best thing about your day at work what was the worst thing about your day at work similar conversation can happen and you know like good example like i mean i must have this past winter sent Steve, I don't know, 20, 30 texts in a row without a response, nothing, just crickets. And I know, cause I've been there. I didn't get mad. I didn't get upset. I go, Oh, Steve doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> He's just in the thick of it. He's just managing the ship to keep it afloat. Same thing with Mike Smith. I'll send him like six or seven in a row and finally a reply or call him like seven times straight. Finally a reply because you have to have empathy for the difficulty of the task of being a leader and a coach is a leader you know whether you're an assistant coach the head coach a director of of, of a program or a company like being a leader is very 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 tough you're always on the hook you're always being judged people who are don't take ownership who you're trying to help athletes employees they'll criticize and critique you because it's the common thread everyone shares is like Hey, let's, you know, bag on the leader because it's just, that's human nature. So, uh, to lead is a very sacred position. And if someone calls you coach is a very high degree of honor. However, you need other colleagues in your corner, you know, like Danny Mackey, someone I call regular too. And he found he was getting burnt out and his answer to recharging was to take up jujitsu. He's athletic. He was a, you know, he ran for Brooks Hansons. He was a marathoner. You know, like he was a runner himself, but he's around running all the time. He's like, I need something physical that had skill that was not running for me and for my own self-care. And, you know, he's he has a lot of fun with jiu-jitsu. And it really has restored his sense of well-being and connectedness to his career. And so I have no interest in jiu-jitsu, MNA fighting, but I'll watch those things with him or talk to him about them or get a little bit of knowledge, right? And if you don't have a coaching friend or colleague like that, it's time to go find it because then you might not have good coaching or calling friends because someone or each other has to share in that. And I I tell you what, it's been very insightful and um, sustaining and energizing, not only for me, but for everyone that I've taken up this practice with that reciprocates. Yeah, you know, I I was at a conference uh, this past weekend and uh, on a panel talking about social media, but one of the uh, the moderators, Tom Haverstro, asked a question that I think was is very pertinent to this, and he said, "Do we need to engineer interaction now?" <laughs> and well, he was talking about it like from the sense that like people don't interact uh, because of social media. I think I think it's true in the sense of we get very complacent on our interaction now because we feel like we're even as coaches we're hyper connected to the world thanks to social media or like the ease of texting or group chat or whatever whatever newfangled thing is out there that sometimes we forget that value of that big debrief where it's just like you know that hour-long phone conversation that you have with a friend that you know allows you to vent and talk about life and you know just Mm -hmm. with no expectations and no 
you know, no cares. I mean, that's how this podcast actually started, John, right? Yeah, it was true. It was it was our conversations. And then we're like, well, we're doing this. So let's just record this, you know, and see what happens. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is like Steve and I became friends because we competed against each other, but we didn't really compete against each other because we didn't know each other. And then he moved out here. And then it was like we're both young coaches in the coaching space. And we both had similar friends like we were we were weak ties essentially. And then we came to know each other and spend time with each other and we liked each other. But I'll tell you what, since I stepped out of NCA coaching, I don't see Steve that much because a lot of times you see your friends at meets, right? So I'm not at the same meets at the same time as with regularity as I once was when I was at Portland State. But this podcast has given Steve and I excuse to stay friends because it allows us, you know, typically once a week to get together and like banter before off mic banter on mic and then sometimes banter off mic afterwards right i don't steve i don't think without this podcast you and i'd be as famous of friends as we are today no definitely not right because this is almost it's almost like a a built-in excuse or to use uh tom haberstros it's we're we're engineering interaction right because we're sitting here saying like hey we're gonna show up as best as we can once a week um hopefully sometimes not and that's my fault um to to do this podcast and it, it's just me and you talking, right? I think what yeah. what is different and what makes our listeners hopefully like this, and some people don't like it, and that's okay. But like these are just conversations that we have. Like right? we're not we're not the high end uh, podcast with a script. We just kind of say, hey, what do we want to talk about? No. Um, as two friends, as as if we were sitting next to each other drinking a beer. Yeah, and that's the whole point. It's unscripted. You know, we rarely come up with a theme or what we're going to talk about until we're actually talking. Like, And that's our process, right? So Steve and I talk. We talk offline for about, I don't know, five to 30 minutes about something. And then something fires us up or something's like, ooh, that's juicy. Let's explore that together more. And let's bring your perspective and my perspective to the table. And really, it's still just me and Steve conversing without an agenda and that's why we go on tangents and you know that's what the people want and that's what we continue to give the people and i think it's great because i walk away being like man i learned like five things from steve (laughs) i mean it's great i mean i've got all these these dumb little uh strips of paper that i write notes on um during all these conversations so you know um as we wrap this up because i'm gonna have to go because i'm in the middle of crazy indoor season stuff yep. um but you know as i as i look back and i think of burnout and i think of you know as as we talked about you know being pushers and like not being aware enough to take the rest and like have that almost natural oscillation which is a huge part of it and also you know giving yourself whether it's reading or knitting or whatever that has you some sort of out you know actually uh my good friend and co-author Brad Stolberg, like his out is like going on long hikes at this awesome park. And yeah. Uh, in mm-hmm. Oakland. So mm-hmm. like, that's great too. And it's just like finding something like that. But I think even more so in the digital age is figure out ways how you can do just what John and I are doing here, which is give yourself some debrief time, give yourself right some time where you're interacting and having one of these conversations with a friend and colleague. And honestly, sometimes we, we get delayed in our podcast because John and I will be like, okay, we're going to record one at, you know, Monday at, at two o'clock. And then we, we get on at Monday at two, start talking and an hour goes by of us just chit chatting. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> We didn't record a podcast, and uh, we don't have time to. So uh, we'll yeah. do, we'll do this next week. You know, yep. Yep. but like in the grand scheme of thing, that's great because you know maybe maybe we should start recording those. But we we had no, a, definitely not. Those are like those are like the XXX rated tapes. Like yeah. <laughs> well, we had that debrief. So you know, if I, if I'm giving you one takeaway from a, a person in the thick of it and the busyness is like find friends and colleagues who you're you can engineer those uh, outputs with. And who you can count on to keep showing up and keep 
you know, checking in, like without getting upset. Like, like I said, I sent 20, Steve, 20 texts in a row, no reply. I'm not upset. I'm not mad, you know, and that's, I think, critical to us, especially in this technology tool age. And remember, technology, social media, it's all tools. You don't carry a hammer around with you all the time, but we do carry a smartphone around with us. There needs to be time built into your day where it's no go. No go on the the phone. No go on social media. No go. Like I have times like, don't care. I turn the phone off. I don't care who tries to call, text, email. If the the world explodes, I'll see it. Okay? (laughs) Like if uh, the nuclear war happens, I'll see it. But or you'll be dead, so it won't matter. You'll be dead, yeah. You'll scream. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like there needs to be clear no-go hours. And I have my no-go hours, and I have multiple no-go hours or multiple times throughout the day where, like, at this no-go time slot of social media or, um, you know, technology tools, I just read. At this no-go, I do things for my health, like run, lift, whatever. And at this, I do things for my relationship with my wife, clean the house, do the dishes, go shopping, cook meals, whatever. And so I know, oh, it's all right, six o'clock, no go on phone. I turn it off, bye. And I think this podcast deserves a part two on how to return from burnout because we talked a lot about burning out and symptoms and you know what can lead to it but i think next time we get on the horn here steve we need to talk about how to return from burnout because the return is very difficult but doable and you've done it and i've done it but uh, i mean i'd be curious to hear your practices when you're an athlete in that perspective as well as you know an adult and i'm you know be more than willing to share mine because it's it's very very hard to return from that dark space and it is a dark depressive space it really does suck All right. Look at that. We're getting better at this. We're hyping you up for part two. This is intermission, and we'll be back with Return from (laughs) Burnout um, as long as John can get me back on the phone. But thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. Don't forget, again, to check out our sponsor, Gain. It's awesome. Amazing. Um, It'll be in the show note links. And also, buy my new book, The Passion Paradox. It helps. So, yeah, no, shameless plugs. March 19th and 20th are going to be yep. radical. That's Buy right. the book, visit thenewhpw.com, the new, new, new. Oh, <laughs> we're going to have the best, best stuff. It's going to be awesome. All right. Take care, guys.